Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Danielle Carter, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. If you have thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at Cisco Champion. All right. Today we are talking about practical incident responses. The objective of incident response is to mitigate the damage of an attack, reduce the recovery time, effort, cost, and reputational damage associated with the cyber attack or data breach. Join the Cisco champions and Cisco expert for what I assure you will be an informative conversation. So let's get started with introductions. Zoe, let's start with you. Hey, my name is Zoe Rose. I am, you can reach me out at rosesec.com. Um, I'm currently a regional information security team lead. So I guess my day to day is having lots of chats and talking all things security. Thank you for joining us today. Evan, you're up next. What do you do? Thanks, Danielle. Uh, I can be found uh, on Twitter at Evan Mincer. My current title is Director of Production Infrastructure. Uh, I work for Customers Bank. Um, I, I formerly was a security person and before that infrastructure as well. So I'm a recovering infrastructure person, I guess. <laughs> Love that. Okay, GJ, how about you? What do you do? Who are you? Well, I'm Gerjan de Boer. GJ in short, because my name is unpronounceable, and I'm the CTO for a Dutch uh, MSP, and we focus mainly on uh, networking and security. All right. Thank you for joining us. Rob, can you tell us about who you are and what you do at Cisco? I am Rob Gresham. I'm a principal engineer in the business unit for threat detection and response. Uh, we probably build most of the products that you've seen at Cisco, like Secure Endpoint, uh, Email Threat Defense, Secure Analytics, Secure Network Analytics, um, and then the Kenna Security Team, along with another product called SecureX. Okay. I just want to thank you again for joining us. Can you give us a little bit of background on today's topic and what we'll be talking about? Yes. So, what is practical incident response, right? When we talk about practical, it means what's the common sense? What's, what's the minimum viable product capability that we need to do, right? Um, we need to be able to have some kind of detection. We need to be able to validate that detection, or you can go um, look up my uh, previous capabilities on Twitter as at psychologize, which yes, it's a long word. It's sockologize, a verb, um, knowing people, places, things, and stuff to do in security. The, the key here is that the security operations event lifecycle, meaning I have to validate something uh, as I get an event, validate that event, enrich that event, then determine whether or not it's a false positive or not, or triage. And then from that triage, actually create, is this an incident? Meaning, like if you take the NIST definition, meaning that I have to do a response. I am duty bound to respond, right? An event is just an occurrence in the system, but an incident means I'm duty bound to respond to that environment. And then as we take that piece in, how do we build these capabilities for customers to be able to do that um, plainly and simply? And there's a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the environment when it comes to XDR, right? It's at the top of the hype cycle. If you look at the Gartner hype cycle, it's like, what is XDR? Well, if we think about EDR, Forrester version of it is EDR is endpoint detection and response. And what does that really mean? 
it's a it's an expression of needs, meaning that we needed endpoint capability that endpoint protection like antivirus, old antivirus, McAfee, semantic back in the day, we needed a capability that actually provided us increased detection and protection capabilities, not just ripping it out, right? Ripping the malware out is what we used to do in the past. Now we wanna be able to pause and start and investigate and look deeper, see more information than expecting the tool to do all the magic for us. So this EDR solution has actually pretty much kicked off and done a great thing for the industry, right? CrowdStrike is show forth. You see ED, you see uh, Microsoft Defender, Sentinel-1, Sil BlackBerry Silence, um, all kinds of different Sophos, different vendors, ESET, all have their EDR capabilities. But now they're branching out into XDR. Um, for them, for most of them, XDR means extending the capability of their EDR to do more things. Um, and that's fine. Cisco has secure endpoint. But the key here is where do we extend and what do we extend and how do we extend and what is the purpose of that extension? Um, when we tried to do our research and we've done, Cisco does a lot of research, you know, big company, we want to make sure that we're making the right investments. So we do a significant amount of research in the space and looking at what different things are. So if we look at the space of XDR, and the one research model that came back to us was IDC's definition. Um, IDC defined XDR as a collection of telemetry of different sources. And in that collection of telemetry of different sources, we detect instances of maliciousness. And that those instances of maliciousness can be responded to by the same tool. So you able to collect different sources, detect maliciousness, and then create a response mechanism for that. But as we move to, isn't that, uh, so I'll ask you a question. So I've, I've given you the definition, but isn't that SIM and SOAR? Could be, because I mean, it's a lot of collecting data and, because uh, as you were saying, so XDR is great because it looks at the endpoint, but the endpoint isn't everything about, you know, how does the, the, the event get to you where else on on the network is uh, are having problems is there anything else going on that uh, is not just the endpoints like is there traffic passing the firewalls email where did it come from where where sim is is collecting a lot of data it's also an expensive price tag if you're using splunk i used i used to work at splunk so that's an interesting conversation <laughs> I mean, we could we probably should have beers on that and not do that on cisco radio but. exactly <laughs> zoe what do you think no, I think it's, you know, further to what um, Evan was saying is, I get what you're saying, I get what you're saying, but I do also understand the limitations there when it comes to, um, as Evan said, when it comes to SIM, um, or SIM, I think is what you called it, I got a SIM, but anyway, um, there are limitations and is, as Evan said, it is expensive and it's a lot of work, it's a lot of customization, it's a lot of investigation, it's a lot of well, what actually is malicious, what's normal, what's, you know, unusual, what is unusual activities? So I'm guessing the answer, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing the answer is actually implementing some intelligence there. And also, I am hoping, um, also um, collecting a lot more information, but also some automation where it can take place and reducing, I'm hoping, reducing false positives. So let's take intelligence because that might lead us into AI and let's go put that into the corner and we won't talk about that <laughs> okay. today. 
Although generative AI is is an awesome capability that we should probably talk about at some point. And I can actually bring a friend, Michael Reutemann, who's one of the Cisco experts in that space. Um, but intelligence is multiple things, right? When we do incident response, triage is like determine whether or not this is true or bad. We use enrichment, which is our intelligence sources compared against the observables or the indicator, uh, like a hash or a file name. And we validate whether or not this thing lend, ended, lend it, I'm sorry, lend. ended up in mm -hmm. virus total, for example, as known malicious. But the problem is, is that Every intelligence tool has a varying level of visibility and a varying level of capability. So then mm -hmm. the more intelligence tools you have, right? The it used to be like back in the day when Anomaly first came out, they said, Well, we have one billion indicators. I'm like, enjoy, <laughs> don't really care. Um, tell me what you know malicious and where you're getting your sources from. Is it curated or is it just dumping a bunch of stuff in there? Right. Um, for me, I was a recorded future person because I love how they curate intelligence in that sense, opposed to just dumping feeds into my platform. But those feeds are valuable. So when we look at those capabilities of being able to add intelligence, how do we do that? Well, SIM, you're right. SIM and SOAR are definitely the area where this is kind of, XDR is kind of targeted at because SOAR is the automation capability, the aggregation of multiple tools together into a spot. SIM is generally the place where we dump all the raw data and then we start to create searches, whether it's QRadar, Splunk, Exabeam, Circonix, it doesn't really matter. But what is XDR? XDR is an expression of needs because just like Zoe just stated, we have a problem with building with Splunk or building with QRadar. It's going to take a while for you to get all your feeds in. It's going to take a while to get all that feed normalized, your searches normalized. How do you build a system of tools that you put together that gets normalized so that you can actually build correlated alerts of detection and maliciousness? Generally, what I've seen in, in the industry is that it takes anywhere between six to 18 months for the customer to get from a new switch, like say Evan or yourself, and you got Splunk or you got QRadar, and you're gonna you're gonna have to rip out your whole system because they're not gonna they're not gonna take your system as is, you're going to have to run one system, build another system side by side, and then start running use cases in it. Meanwhile, all your tools are still producing the same number of alerts, and somebody now has to go log into 50 tabs while we're waiting for that transition, right? Which EJ, so when you look at this problem, how do you see XDR supporting that? Well, the problem I have with uh, a lot of the solutions you already mentioned, the, the EDR solutions, is that they they look at an incident like uh, when you when you compare it to a murder, it's like the police just coming in and looking at the body and not not looking at the whole environment that's around it. So you're missing a lot of valuable evidence that's lying around. I totally agree with you. I I don't necessarily look at it like a murder because that puts a very point of <laughs> yeah morbid morbid view on it, but I think of it as a window or a door, right? The endpoint only knows what's out the door and, and it can see the street, but it doesn't see anything else. It can't see what's behind the house. It can't see out through it. You have to literally go move around before you go and see some other stuff. But as you, as you come outside and you stand from the street, you can see what's going on around the house, right? You may have some blind spots inside the house, but so you need a combination of both. And, and so to tie that together, in my opinion, and, and there's really four components that tie everything together. You have an endpoint, you have a network, you have identity, 
and you have risk or vulnerabilities. And those are all interrelated at a macro level to a micro level of what's happening in the environment, right? Command and control relates to a process. A process has an identity associated with it. And that process may have vulnerabilities. And if that process has vulnerabilities, then it can be exploited for a capability, right? For example, sideloading DLLs and, and service host would give us a problem, right? And it could, a customer could, or a, an adversary could create a bad DLL, sideload it with um, SVH host EXE on Windows and make bad things happen in our environment or run DLL 32, use that to launch it as a separate process. Any one of those capabilities could be bad or PowerShell or any other tooling. But what happens beyond the network is what's important too. Um, we took, an, uh, we took an, a recent example of MITRE's evaluation. Um, it, those of you that know MITRE Ingenuity, they do evaluation of EDR products. Um, and in that EDR product in round four last year, I think it was last year, a year before last, we did the wizard spider attack. Um, and how we took that wizard spider attack, which is a lateral movement um, and exploitation from a phishing email, lateral movement to a Kerber roasting event, to a compromise and ransomware event using Emotet and TrickBot malware families in that environment to create this attack. Um, and in that extended attack, how do you see all the things that are going on? Well, if, you, if you're a typical EDR environment, the only thing that you would see would be the Kerber roasting event firing off. Well, you see the Kerber roasting event, what's the, what, what would be your practical response for that? Nuke the device. <laughs> nuke the device, okay. So we got nuke the device. Go ahead, Evan, what would be your response? I feel like I need more information about what's actually happening rather than look at the event. Okay, so where would you start? Uh, well, today it'd be going to the seam. So you go to the seam and you'd, Get what data? Well, trying to look at how the, where were the, the, the device was talking, what was it talking to, what else is on the network, looking for logs, things like that. Okay, so you try, to, you try to reverse from the alert, go backwards and try to figure out those components. Now, naturally, practical incident response is actually a cognitive understanding of the attack, right? So, Zoe, if you get, you get the, you have this Kerber roasting event, you know the process and you know the parent process that's happening on the event, okay? What's the next thing? So you confirm that that process, that process fired and you know the parent process was like something like SI host. What does that tell you? Well, I think I'm still in the same boat as Evan. I, I still would do, well, okay. It depends on the incident, uh, situation. If it's something that I need to investigate further, I investigate further. It's something, if it's something that I need to investigate further, as Evan said, I would go do that. If it's something like GJ said, it's, you know, it's a critical asset. I need to be very careful because the sensitivity in it. I need to isolate it right away. I need to, you know, like it, you have to have the context there within your own system. Absolutely. So now if you only have an EDR, you can only know what that system knows. So at best, that system knows the process that fired, right? It knows that it sent out a connection, right? So possible C2 connection going out. That's, that's a possibility, right? Um, and then some persistence mechanism. Ultimately, when we understand the attack, we use back chaining, understanding that a C2 event drives to a process, a process then does things, right? That's forward chaining. Did it lay persistent? So for me as a digital forensic incident responder and back in the day, I would do the understanding of the investigation. I wanna know what processes were, what was the parent process? What processes did it fire? The child process that I'm investigating, what did it 
did it fire anything else other than this one Kerber roasting activity? If it did, then I want to investigate those processes and see what else they've done. Um, or any, and then the any last, further, the last, yeah. Yeah, and looking for persistence mechanisms um, that are new to the system because maybe there was a process missing, might capture memory if I, if I can or have the capability. But these are all forensics activities, right? Now, the problem is, is that we have other tools in our environment. We have email, we have network, we have all kinds of other visibility tools. But now we have to go fetch those tools, go look for those things. Now, when you have a typical network, this is the problem with networking. Uh, and most people are frustrated with it because now we have this whole hybrid environment where I have, I'm working from a 192.168 address and that endpoint recorded that home address. But what did the network see? It saw my router's address, not my address. So now when that event goes over to the tool, it sees the distant end and my local address, but that's confused with pretty much Zoe's, Evan's, and GJ's IPs, right? Because they're all generally the same. It might be significantly different, but out of 200, 254 addresses, there's going to be a certain amount of overlap um, depending on how your environment was set up or if you customized it or whatnot. So that overlap is a problem. So how do we solve those kinds of problems? Well, the key here is being able to have the network be attributable to the endpoint. And how do you do that? Well, you need an agent that knows the network and an agent that knows what's on the, on the host, right? In order to do that attribution. Um, and Cisco has this thing called the network visibility module or NVM. Um, and the network visibility module lives on the endpoint and actually records the parent process, the user, the process hash, um, and all the other components um, with that execution, including the five tuple for the um, flow, and then marries that up with the secure, um, anal secure cloud analytics, which actually marries that up to network flow data coming from the firewall or any other flow device like a Meraki device and whatnot. You see how that I I've just tied those pieces together? So now I can take network data, tie it to a process and the parent process, so now I'm creating visibility on the endpoint. So when we think about XDR, we think about XDR as being an open environment, meaning XDR is extendable to other EDR vendors. I don't care whether or not um, CrowdStrike is in the environment or Secure Endpoint or Sentinel-1 or Microsoft Defender, which are all ones that are coming out with our release at RSA. Um, and soon we'll be going to GA with the product. And the reason for that is, is we don't want to disrupt you, but we're powerful on the network. We know things about the network. And the network gives us a visibility of the environment and how it's going and what, what things are going on. I can be able to use tools like in Firewall, like Eve, that allows me to see relationships between certificates so that then I can determine whether a C2 is related or not. Um, and tying all that data together on the network side ties me back in. Automated device discovery, automated um, user and asset discovery gives me more sources to correlate not only the endpoint data, the network data, and the identities, but also allows me to add priority to those assets that I care about. Um, and that add, go ahead. You were going to say something, was, Zoe? Yeah, I was just curious. Like, how how does this work then in the, in an environment where you've got lots of, as you said, lots of different solutions? Do they send data to, um, I think this would be Skirax, am I right? Nope, it's going to be nope. XDR, Cisco. Oh, it's just going to be called XDR. Okay, Cisco XDR, Cisco, sorry. XDR. Yep. Okay, so um, would they be sending 
intelligence or data into uh, Cisco XDR, or like how would that how would that connect the dots there? So in order to put the sources in, what do you have to do, right? If we talk about any other um, SIM-like tool, or let's talk, let's just simplify them and and like Gartner wants to do, for example, is call them threat detection and incident response tools. Mm -hmm. We need to normalize the data for detection, meaning the data that comes in needs to be normalized enough so that I can create a detection. In some tools, I'm going to get telemetry, like in internal Cisco tools, I'm going to get all the raw telemetry. But CrowdStrike, I'm only going to get the alert. I'm not going to get the telemetry data. So what I want to do is be able to correlate the, the alerts together to create one combined attack chain that mm. allows me to understand that this is an attack and not necessarily just an alert. In the back in the day, what were we investigating? Uh, if you go to Splunk now, you're investigating an individual alert based on a detection that they have determined is malicious, right? But there could be multiple detections on the same host. So what do you have to do? As a incident responder, you have to go find the rest of the detections for that host because they may not all be observable relationships to that object, right? It may not match the same observable. It could be a different hash or it could be, you know, like for example, Qbot, uh, which is a polymorphic malware. The hash changes over time. The only thing that stays the same is the mutex. So if that's the problem, how do you relate them together? And naturally, C2s don't always go to the same endpoint. They may hit the same domain or maybe a DGA domain where it's dynamically changing, but how do we relate them together? Maybe the certificate's the same. So now we can tie them together. So taking these different components and tying them together gives us that detection of maliciousness. But now when you add different tools, like say proof points, um, detection of maliciousness for a email, you add that data into the tool. We normalize that data. The thing here is we're not going to be like, for example, I'm going to go look at a competitor like Palo Alto. I'm not going to go after 903 different app integrations. I'm not looking for volume. I'm looking for quality, right? And there's a difference there. There's a huge difference between quality of integration versus quantity of integration. So it, our XDR solution isn't going to be for everybody, but it's going to be able to save you time and energy when it comes to actually integrating the sources that we want to integrate. So if you say Palo, if you say you have a Palo Alto firewall, that'll be one of the things, the next generation firewalls that we get integrated. So that flow data will automatically fly in. It'll marry up to what we have, and we can see that data married up to the tools that we have. So then we have to create these attack chains and these alerts and we have to have a correlation engine that we use machine learning to correlate these things together to be able to see the different MITRE attack chains and, and then produce that single detection. Does that make sense? So the normalizing the data, the way you're doing that is essentially, I'm going to compare it just to Splunk, just because that's what I'm familiar with. But if I look at Splunk, they have that common information model. Is it the similar kind of idea? You'd be getting the alerts in and you'd be tagging it in a specific way? Or like, I'm not sure how it works. <laughs> so when you look at common information model, like um, it's the open open cybersecurity framework um, at findings mm -hmm. and different, it's just words. It's an ontology, right? Words matching a particular capability and then you have to form everything on top of it. It benefits Splunk to do that, right? And the reason for that is because how does data come in? If you take any data that Splunk can come in, it comes in just as the data is presented, right? So. Mm -hmm. you, if you throw it in an index, you have to figure out what the fields are. Once you see the fields, then you 
then you can start building a search, but then what do you do? Enterprise security, for example, is acceleration and normalization using TSTATs. It basically takes all the raw data, summarizes it, normalizes it to common field structures, and then those field structures move it forward. Splunk had its own normalization. They just now made some of that open by redesigning some of that. If we go back to your conversation, what we will do is we're mapping it to our own model. We have CTIM is, uh, is our is our Cisco threat intelligence model, which is how we produce events inside um, XDR. But we'll also be correlating and mapping these things together because we need to understand common hosts, right? What is the problem with Splunk? And, and, and if we just pick on that for a little bit, is that what are all the devices? How are they all related? How do they? How do you know that device, that flow is related to that device? Well, that's what we're trying to solve. We're trying to make that easier for you instead of leaving that for you. Like Splunk is a highly integratable Switzerland-like device. Like it can do lots of different things, um, but forces you to have to twiddle your fingers. It's and quite make complex, it all work, right? And <laughs> yeah. Make it work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, with, with Splunk, if you, if you don't have the you have the data coming in, great. But if it's not normalized, it's it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> and then and then you're missing data. So then you have to go hunt. You spend an, an enormous amount of time hunting for that data. And then if you take the SOAR products, it doesn't matter. And we'll We'll not pick on Splunk anymore. We'll go to like, uh, what's a good one? Uh, Palo Alto's XOR, which is like 903 integrations. Are the integrations there to produce a response outcome for you? They're not. They're there to produce the app-centric outcome. And that's a problem because you don't produce app-centric outcomes. You need a security operations outcome. I need to create a ticket with Cheerwell, ServiceNow, whatever. It doesn't matter how that integration was made Right, but if I only make the integration for ServiceNow and I don't standardize the process, then I'm stuck. And that was one thing that my time when I was the PM for Phantom, which is the Splunk SOAR product, um, I enjoyed what we did with that product. We tried to do our best to standardize the apps and integrations. No, we didn't have as many as Palo Alto's 903 because all of our partners weren't making them because we were maintaining our own. And while we were maintaining our own, ours worked, right? When, when you have a problem with a SOAR integration, um, say Tynes, for example, you go to the vendor, and if you go and look at Tynes, Tynes is another good example. Tynes builds a bunch of models of individuals, but how are they normalizing the integrations? They're not. They're using Open API and Swagger to basically pull the integrations in as fast and as quick as possible, but they all pull the same normalization that the vendor created. If the vendor creates it, then virus total doesn't marry up to alien vault or to uh, what's what's another one um, URL scan.io, right? It won't marry those technologies together to create the same output. You have to have a model in front of it. And that's really where you take all those same pieces. We extend the capability of singular integrations that we want to invest in, own them, support their integration into the product then create linked detections of maliciousness, and then create response options that you don't have to configure, that they just work. When you put the API in for CrowdStrike, you get all the blocking and tackling capabilities that CrowdStrike provides right out of the gate. You know, eventually we'll open up things like, you know, live response. But if you're gonna go that deep, wouldn't it be better just to go to that tool at that point, than, than for me to try to bridge it with say, a SOAR product that could do it, if I got the right input and whatnot, but I could leverage it if I had a use case for it. But what we want to do is simplify your time to value by 
onboarding the data quickly, creating those um, machine learned detections by taking the known alerts and creating that. So I'm not recreating alerts for ETD or um, email threat defense or secure endpoint or CrowdStrike. I'm incorporating them in and then aligning them with the rest of the alerts that we know. And then creating one common alert schema or attack chains that actually demonstrates this host, this host, and this host is attacked. And where does this provide you value? That same wizard spider capability we talked about with a multiple attack, that's actually a three target attack. First host is actually infected, um, lays a persistence mechanism, then the malware then lateral moves and drops another file on the next box. And then the next box uses Kerber roasting um, as the uh, adversary logs in, RDPs into that box, uses the Kerber roasting, which is exactly what um, GJ would do. He'd go nuke that box, take that box off the network. But what happened to the first box? The first box is still there. The adversary is still there. And if, if JG didn't find it because he didn't see it, didn't see the SMB connection, didn't see the, the lateral movement, he's lost, right? And EDRs don't track incoming connections, do they? Right? They only track outgoing connections most of the time, right? So if we look at that problem, we would have missed that unless we look deeply. If we had the time, we would have missed that. So what our tooling and what we can confirm is that tying the network data to the endpoint data gives us a capability to join that attack together so that we actually see the common C2 mechanism that's going out. And then we actually see the RDP and SMB connections that, that let it move laterally. And then with that detection, we know that one, the, the first infection, the second host, and the target was um, the domain controller. So what would be the last thing we do? Kick off a snapshot on the domain controller, right? We block, but I want to back up the domain controller just in case they find more time to, I don't know how long they've been on my network. I don't know when they're going to pivot, but I want to get a, a good known configuration of the, of the domain controller as quick as I could, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things and steps that I would do as an incident responder, Zoe, how many people have that capability in every organization <laughs> when we're talking, you only have two or three people, maybe five people in the security operations team? Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, that skill set in-house, that's not usually, uh, well, sometimes it exists, but I will also say people also take holiday. I live in Europe. People go on holiday. Um, so maybe they, they exist, but they're not there. So no, that's a really good point. Um, and also, uh, it, it tends to be something you hire uh, externally. You have some sort of contract within the third party, but they don't have the hands-on insight into your environment. So it takes the time to learn your environment in an incident and try and figure out what's going on. So no, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. That's not necessarily existing. I like that it also, I mean, from from the sounds of it, it sounds like it's speeding up a lot of things, you know, so you're reducing potentially the impact by being able to detect and understand what the uh, connections are. It sounds like a little bit more quicker than doing that in the manual way and investigating with all of the things. Um, I am curious, uh, as you mentioned, lots of organizations are smaller, you know, they're maybe their in-house skill set maybe it's not as robust as it might need to be. Um, and so this obviously is adding some advantages, but what about organizations that maybe don't have a traditional seam? Um, maybe they're looking to only use XDR. What are some in advantages and disadvantages there from your, from your perspective? 
I mean, I can think of a couple, but I'd like to hear yours as well. My advantages to using a SIM, for example, is that you have the ability to go all over the place, right? You have full complexity, you have full growth capability, and you can build it over time. And those smaller teams, like say, you know, a small business, a small retail business, they don't have the time to do those kinds of things, right? They have four or five offices or four or five stores. They're trying to manage the stores. They got a backend office piece. They got some cloud environment. They, they, there's no one tool to fix it. So then they get five or 10 tools to help solve some of those problems, right? They get an endpoint, they get some cloud apparatus, they get some other, some other tools like guard duty. And how do you get all of these things working together? So for us, I think the value of the XDR solution, right? At the endpoint detection extension layer, there isn't any. You get vendor lock-in, and if that vendor doesn't provide you the capabilities that you need, you're stuck. So then you gotta go, what are the other options? That, I think that's where XDR is like an expression of needs. Nobody wants, to, not everybody wants to go through the full effort and be a Fortune 2000 to go through all the money that it, that it takes to go build a sim and the people and the resources because then it's a you just tagged on you know at least three or four people more to manage that product alone so xdr is meant or at least our version of xdr is meant to extend the individuals be open to the other product suites in an environment We'd like for example it, we don't care if you use our edr we don't care if you use our network we don't care if you use our endpoint. What we care about is that you're using at least one of our products in that sense, right? Kind of like the old SecureX um, version of it, right? But the idea is, is that the Cisco XDR's focus is predominantly about you got a Cisco product in your environment. Say you're using Meraki to manage your remote sites and you can get that data into one tool and start reacting and, and responding to incidents and then add other tools that you integrate. So if you're dealing with best of, because nobody gets fired for having best of breed products, right? So if you go out and buy CrowdStrike's endpoint because it's best of breed, it's gonna save you trouble. That'll help you in. Evan, did you have something you wanted to help? I, I was just thinking about, so you're saying you don't have to buy Cisco, but I would guess if you're buying Cisco, it becomes a lot easier to integrate everything into the, the XDR solution. I would agree with you 100%. Now, what we wanna do is sell XDR as part of a package of, a group of or a bundle or a suite, whatever you want to call it. But the, the key here is that you get XDR as part of that process, depending on the integrations that you have and whatnot. But if you bought Umbrella and, and AnyConnect or you bought Umbrella and say email threat defense, then you would have access to XDRs under that suite. Now, you could employ some of our capabilities, right? Get more visibility into raw data, but then you may say, hey, you know what, Rob, your, your secure endpoint's not that great. And we don't like it. And, and, and shamefully, <laughs> or, or, I would like- Or you already have something deployed out and you're not, not gonna wanna go out and rip and replace that. Exactly, and you don't wanna have to go, so now if you take the, you're absolutely right. So now if you take an EDR vendor's approach to XDR, if you're gonna move to Sentinel-1's XDR, you gotta rip all of your CrowdStrike out, all of your secure endpoint out to go to their XDR solution. And then you have to refeed all that data back in to go to Deep Insights. Um, for us, that none, there's no rip and replace. I can work with their XDR or their EDR in the same space and add the visibility of all the other infrastructure equipment that I have. That to me is the power of our product, right? And the integrations, right? We're not forcing you to do, yes, we have a full XDR automate solution with, with workflows that you can create fully customizable, but we want the basic responding capabilities 
there already ready for you when you when you put the API in, right? And, and that we think is powerful across the board. Um, that way we're not putting the load of the integrations on you, but we're allowing you to customize later as your maturity grows. So it grows with you not, and it's not just static and it's not a single point product. It has all the, com that was the difference between if you wanted to build a separate product, like for example, if you're a brand new startup and you're building a brand new product, you, if you're building it complex, it's going to take you a while to do it, right? But if you're building a simple, if you're building a simple product that does one thing or two or three, four things, it doesn't take you long to get a proof of concept up, get it up and running, show everybody how to get it. But as you grow that application, you got to keep bolting stuff on top of it. But when you take a well-matured environment and, and, and tool and you simplify it, make it easier, that's a lot easier to do because now we're managing that code to simplify that piece. And that's kind of what we've done. GJ, yes. what do you think? Questions? <laughs> well, to me, uh, for most of my customers, they're a lot smaller. So when we do, uh, when we get an incident or a detection or something, they just don't know how to respond. They don't know how to investigate, how to get more information. And it sounds like this product is going to help them a lot and make it easier for them to understand and get a better security posture. So we didn't talk about you as an MSSP, but what <laughs> is the thing that creates the MSSP's problem, right? It's all those customer integrations, right? It's all yep. the variance between those integrations. And every customer is gonna be different, right? I've been doing SOC consulting for a better part of 20 years. And the only thing I've ever learned is that, yep, you walked into a SOC today. You know one SOC, <laughs> right? Because when you walk into the next one, yep. it's a completely different environment with different tooling. Some of the tools have been the same. Like I did phishing investigations for probably five years. And all I learned at that is that there are 400 different ways to do a phishing investigation, but at a high level, they're all the same file, URL and header analysis. Yep. That's all for detecting maliciousness in it. That's all I can do. The rest of it is language and social engineering. Right. And I can't, well, our ETD does a pretty good job of it, but as a human, I can't code program that into a tool. That's got to be some kind of language model that understands the language, can interpret it, what sense of urgency is being said, all those different pieces. I could look for keywords, but I need a machine language or, sorry, Zoe, artificial intelligence to actually figure out what the heck I just said. And then it tell me and categorize the context of the words in front of me. Um, and that's what our ETD does pretty well, um, from my understanding. So, so Rob, I remember SecureX, we came out a few years back and it was a, a gift with purchase, if you will. If you have a, a Cisco security product, you got SecureX along with it and you can now correlate those events in SecureX and it's sort of light almost and they built on it. So this XDR product, how is that being licensed out? So the XDR license will be a bundled license of different security products as a suite. So that's my understanding so far. Um, I don't have a lot of details on it just yet because we're still working out the details. We don't go to GA until August um, or late June, early August uh, timeframe. The, the key here for us is that we needed two things in SecureX that it didn't have to make XDR, right? Um, we needed a capability of detection and we needed a cap and analytics and we needed a capability of automation, orchestration, and response, right? All those other components. So we actually took two products and joined them together. We took Secure Cloud Analytics, 
which is now XDR Analytics, and we took in um, SecureX, and this is what's going to be the XDR product. So taking all the native secure cloud analytics capabilities of being able to ingest flow data and all that other content, including NVM, and then now we're going to be adding additional data lake capabilities um, for that environment. Adding that data lake capabilities gives you a retention model, but not a full-on search, right? We're not replacing a SIM. Like that's the biggest, for me right now, that's the biggest misnomer is that, oh, well, your XDR is going to replace my SIM. I'm not there to replace your SIM. I can't meet all those use cases. I may give you a dashboarding capability, but I'm not going to do everything that a SIM does. I don't want to keep long-term retention. I, I, if anything, I want to be short-term and then let you use Splunk, but I want to save you money at Splunk. What costs you money when you're doing workload pricing? Searches. So if I minimize the amount of searches that are running in the background and I can do the analytics for you for free, who wins, right? You can now use my tool, get the analytics you need, get the correlation that's machine learned, drop that into an interface where you can start working it, and then those integrations are already there, but you can dump your stuff into Splunk and get the additional information you want out of Splunk um, and keep that data retention there and occasionally use it. I'm going to lower your overall operating costs and you're still going to have tightly integrated products. So I suppose the, the use case essentially is, um, I think, understanding the context as you said uh, for a lot of organizations because i do know that a lot of organizations are not going with a traditional seam because it's they don't think there's the value there but i still i still see the value there and i like the point you made of you know it's it's where you're storing the long-term data the the more uh more uh more data whereas this is related to an incident you're investigating and then you're moving on um and i wonder is the kind of for the typical business that you would be marketing to it, it would be the smaller teams like the more uh smaller security teams the people that maybe don't have a robust big sock maybe they have as you said, three to five people. Um, is there any limitations on uh, like the size? Like, is it, um, how does that work really? Like, is it, um, oh, you said you weren't sure about the pricing exactly, was it? Yeah, we, we haven't, ah, we haven't got to the full <laughs> pricing details, but I, I could tell you it's most likely gonna be priced by user. Um, okay. And then there's retention levels, right? The, yeah. the biggest thing is we want to minimize the retention levels and the default mm -hmm. is like 90 days of retention. We, we don't want to be that, because that's where the cost is, right? Searching mm -hmm. long, large data sources over a period, that's where our, our problem comes in. We want to be able to keep the searching requirements really small and keep the retention lo lower because we're looking for bad things, right? And even if a customer has a requirement for, say, I need a year, Rob, I need a year. I need to be able to look back a year, okay? Well, then you can pay for additional extension, but understand that your performance is going to slow some when you're looking over hunting activities, right? Because the the thing that I think that's powerful, and those of you that have used SecureX in the past will remember the whole automated enrichment capabilities, right? It it, it enriches things automatically. It comes yep. in and it goes and gets word. all the things, right? And then drops them in in your environment. And you're like, woo, bad things have happened. Okay, cool. I see little malicious icons and good icons, known good. That automagical stuff is really... Uh, funny to me because I used to I used to teach at Sands and John Hubbard was like, oh, automation is something that's magical and sores do something magical. 
the truth is, is that SIMs and SOARs, which are the basis for threat detection and response, the problem with them is that everything was left to you to build. And, and that was really the painful part. So it seemed magical because it took you forever to get it going while you're running the whole organization. We never really got to the fruition and the spread that SOAR was supposed to solve, right? Early in the day when I joined the Phantom team, I had 400 customers. And by the time I left, I had 600 customers because the rotation of change in a customer environment, I was some of their continuity. People changed and they had to relearn a new tool. Some of them didn't like Python. It wasn't, it wasn't clicking play enough. All those, whatever the problems were, the reality is, is that we weren't reaching the value point. And that's the same thing with, if you remember antivirus, McAfee, Semantic, you know, Sophos, they all had AV engines driving everything, but it can only get about 85% of the malware and anything more kind of got good things and bad things together. And that wasn't satisfactory. We needed to be able to turn that back. I was at McAfee when, uh, or I was at a customer um, when McAfee dropped a DLL file for every Windows box in the environment, right? And then it basically bricked every Windows box. It was a really bad day, um, <laughs> but it still happens today, right? Microsoft will make a mistake. Defender will delete something it's not supposed to. Bad things will happen, right? So there's only so much machine learning can do before we get to detection and response, which is the which was kind of created out of the silence. If you remember, CrowdStrike and Silence came out with that first kind of extended detection capability, right? the EDR, I'm going to extend your antivirus and, and create this new enhanced or hybrid, what do they call it? Next generation, whatever buzzword they were using kind of thing. So that was the hard part, right? And we got to that piece. XDR is something that we could do with the same extension model, or we could do something completely different. And I think that's where Cisco's, we, we see the market but we think we're doing something completely different that's gonna hit home with these small companies um, with the low maturity model and get them going. Amazing, that was a really, really good conversation. I'm very excited about this episode. Rob, I know you covered a lot, but is there anything that you wanna share with our listeners? Any last thoughts, anything that we didn't cover? So we did a presentation, this is coming out a little bit after our presentation at, at um, RSA. If you haven't seen that, please go take a look. Um, we're trying to help customers solve the time to value problem and the integrations problem. That's really what we're honed in on. That's why I was hired. That's why I unfortunately left Splunk to go work for Cisco because I saw the innovation coming out of the team for this particular product and how we're doing it. And it was one of the main reasons why I, I, I believe and we need to help our customers and that and you guys are our number one target. We have to help the customers solve the problems that they're having. Not all the problems are about finding bad persons. It's about getting the tools to work together, right? Providing a unified system and environment um, to be able to solve those things. All right. Well, that's another great episode on the books. To our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, you can check out the resources provided in the show notes below. And this is your weekly reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure you click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening. See you again next time.